gracious grace. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word, and I uh, always like to encourage you to bring your copy of God's Word with you, especially as we go through the book of Nehemiah. It's oftentimes too long for us to list into the bulletin, so don't depend upon your bulletin. Uh, bring your own Bible or uh, your own electronic version of it and follow along with us. But today's scripture is from Nehemiah, beginning in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eye open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I, in my father's house, have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them. And bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Probably remember a Christian fad in the early 2000s called the Prayer of Jabez. And it comes from the book of Jabez. The Breakthrough to the Blessed Life was the subtitle. And it takes a prayer in the Bible. And if you just simply pray this prayer, then you too would be blessed like Jabez. And the problem, and there are many is that this prayer is tucked away in an obscure genealogy of First Chronicles. And though, as I quoted last week, yes, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, it is not useful for whatever we want it to be useful for. No, it's useful in the way that God has ordained it for it to be useful, for the purpose that God has given it to it. And so, in other words, yes, the prayer of Jabez is a prayer, but is it to be a model of prayer? Well, I don't think so. And is it to be a prayer that's specifically designed for you in your situation? Again, probably not. But again, I think people like this prayer because it's short and it talks about blessing, which people like. And it acts in some way as a good luck charm or a good luck chance that if you say it a few times a day, then surely you will be blessed. But probably what is more problematic is that this prayer distracts from real models of prayer, like the Lord's Prayer, where the Lord teaches his disciples how to pray because they ask, Lord, teach us to pray which is a wonderful question. Each and every one of us needs to learn how to pray. It doesn't come naturally to us. 
And there, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he says, pray in this manner, our Father who art in heaven, that Lord's Prayer that we just prayed earlier. And these prayers, along with other prayers throughout Scripture, do the same. You can think of Hannah's prayer, or Solomon's prayer, or Hezekiah's prayer in the Old Testament, or Mary's prayer in the New Testament, or various prayers that the Apostle Paul has throughout his epistles. These are the models of prayers, and they are not gimmicky ones. Well, to that list of prayers, we should add the prayer that is before us this morning, the prayer of Nehemiah. As we will see going throughout this book, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And this prayer is a model to us. It shows us what proper prayer entails. And so that is what we want to look at this morning. Four points of prayer. Four points that will help you in your own prayers before the Lord. And those are coming to God, confessing our sins to God, calling out to God, and then casting our cares upon God. First, coming to God. And then you see this in verses 4 through 6. You remember, if you were here with us last week, that this prayer comes out of the news that was received by Nehemiah's brother, Hananiah. When the report comes back of Jerusalem being in ruins and the gate being burned and the walls being broken down and the people being in trouble and in shame. And this is troubling to Nehemiah. In fact, it is deeply troubling. It says that upon the news of this, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. And those actions of Nehemiah demonstrates that his prayers were not emotional lists. They were not heartless prayers. No, they had feelings behind them. They were not just words. This prayer that we have before us was not a recitation of Nehemiah just saying the right things so that he could get what he wanted. No, his heart was in his prayers. And let me encourage you as you pray that the Lord desires your hearts, not just your words, not just the things that you can say. I've heard prayers, and so have you, with about as much emotion as if the person was reading out of the phone book. Or people that pray just perfunctory prayers, which sometimes we can have a tendency to do, especially when we pray those short prayers before our meals. Thank you, Lord, for this meal, and bless it to our bodies. Amen. Right? Have we even thought about what we are actually saying? I've heard people talk with more passion and vigor of what is on the menu then when the food actually arrives and they go to give thanks for it to the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that we are to pray with extra passion or extra demonstrative for demonstrative sake. No, because Jesus warns against that as well. He says, do not pray for show. Do not pray for others to see. He essentially goes on to say, if you do so, you're doing so as a performance. That you're not really praying. No, when we pray, we should mean what we say. And say what we 
me. We shouldn't have flowery language or Christianese speech, right? I love oftentimes when new converts pray. Oftentimes it's, it's raw, real, not very polished, but it's genuine. And that is what we must keep always as we mature in our walk with the Lord. We must keep that genuineness to our prayers. And I think that is how Nehemiah prays here. And notice how he begins in verse 5. O Lord, God of heaven. God of heaven, the great and awesome God. In that one verse, he captures the amazing reality of prayer. That the one that we approach is the God of heaven. The one that is from all eternity. That is perfect in all of his being. That is eternal and infinite and unchangeable. The one that is the maker and creator of of it all, the one who spoke and it all came into existence, the one that at this very moment is holding up the entirety of the universe by the palm of his hand. And yet, that is the one that we are able to approach in prayer. And Nehemiah goes on to say that he is the great and awesome God of heaven. That he's not just the the maker of it all. Yes, he is that, but he is so much more than that. That he is great and awesome. And we must not forget who our God is. It doesn't matter how many years that you've been walking with the Lord, and it could be for many years. You can know a lot about God. You can be very studied in theology and in scriptures. You can recite the catechisms and the creeds, and sing a thousand hymns by heart. Let me tell you what. You haven't even begun to scratch the surface of who our God is. He's far greater. He's far more infinite than that. He's far mightier. He is the great and awesome one. And we overuse that word awesome, don't we? Because God alone is ultimately awesome. Meaning that he is the one that truly overwhelms us with all. And will for all of eternity. So as we begin, have we forgotten who it is that we are able to approach? The one that is overwhelmingly awesome in the fullness of who he is. That is the God. That is the privilege that is ours. And as a result, we should feel mighty small. We ought to feel quite feeble. And we are. And we really would have no chance to come into his presence if he did not make a way. And that's why Nehemiah goes on to say, not only is he the great and awesome God, but he is the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. You might say, there you go. The Presbyterians, talking about covenant again. And that is because the scriptures talk about covenant all the time. It's always there. And praise God that it is. Because it's a, a great and glorious word. 
In short, it means relationship. The relationship that we as sinful humans can have with a holy God. And it's because God has condescended to us. He demonstrated this way back in the garden that he not only made everything, not only made man, but he made man in order to have a relationship with him. And even though Adam fell in that first covenant, God was willing to make another covenant with him. And he was pleased to do so. And that covenant is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, which is the ultimate condescension, isn't it? That God becomes man. He becomes a part of his creation. He becomes a creature in order that we are able to have relationship with him. That is the God that we get to worship. That is the God that we come into relationship with, that he is the covenant God, the covenant God that shows covenant steadfast love. And how does he demonstrate that relationship? How does he demonstrate that love to us? Well, not the least of which is prayer. That we are able to speak to him. Listen, if I told you that I was able to speak to your CEO of your company, you might say, who is this guy? I've worked at this company for 20 years. I've never been able to speak to the CEO. And he just calls him up. Or if I told you that I was able to talk to the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of Britain, all of you would be super impressed. But don't we understand that we come to someone far greater than any of them? Yes, they may wield a lot of power, but they are nothing, nothing compared to our God. And God is welcoming us into that. That the great and awesome God invites you in to have relationship with him, to talk to him, to cast your burdens and cares upon him. That is amazing reality. What a privilege that we as the children of God have to come before such a God is this. Well, second, we see that we are to confess our sins to God. As we remember who God is, we are to recognize who we are. In other words, Nehemiah doesn't just say the right things. He doesn't just do these preliminaries so as to butter up God, so then to say, well, okay, God, let's get down to business. Let's, let's talk about the, the real reason why I'm here. No, Nehemiah confessed he is, that he is a sinner. See this in verse Six and seven, confessing the sins of the people which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. This confession of sin may be something that is unfamiliar to you. You might think, well, aren't we supposed to just kind of keep that hidden, not really talk about these things and just kind of overlook it? No, as we approach God, we are to confess who we are. We are to confess our sinfulness. Not because I Does that mean that he didn't sin against anyone else? No, surely not. He, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, Josiah, all of Israel. But his first offense was against God. It's always against a holy God. Because that is our first relationship. That is our first love. You remember when Peter fell, when he denied Jesus, and when Jesus is resurrected. Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
And it says that those words stung. That he was pierced to the hearts. And that's really what happens when we sin, don't we? And we, we come in confession of that sin that it, it, it stings. Why? Because we understand that we've sinned against the God that we love. That our sin is never impersonal. Our sin is very personal. It's against the one in whom we love. And so we are confessing this. Very rare than corporate confession is something that is altogether foreign to us. Too often in the West, we prioritize ourselves and individuality and undervalue corporate things. But that's not how the Bible speaks. It's not how the Apostle Paul speaks. How does he talk about the, the body of Christ? Well, he talks about it just like that, that they're working together. And if one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And that is exactly what takes place with sin, that sin affects the, the, the consequences go far the individual. That's why we need to take this false idea that, that sin is just private. That we have these private sins. No, sin is never private. Even if it's unknown, it has effects far beyond. It's like throwing a rod does when he sees this vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, I am a man of unclean lips. And then goes on to say, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. We're responsible not only for our own sin, but the, the confession of the whole, the whole of the body. And it's true confession. Hard work, isn't it? Work that sometimes we, we don't like to do. Why? Because it's, it's hard work. Opening the, the closets that we like to keep closed, that we like to keep hidden, and it shines the light of of God's presence and His Word upon things that sometimes are, are uncomfortable for us to do. But what happens? Well, what happens is what oftentimes happens when perhaps you discipline your own children. Yes, it's, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. But as you lead your children through that confession, confessing their sins to God and, and asking for forgiveness of God and asking for forgiveness of, of one another, and, and then giving them the, the offer of forgiveness. It's really a, a gospel moment, isn't it? And as a result, you, you sense this bond. You sense this love with this child. And the same thing is with our relationship with God. Is that through our confession, we are connected. We are brought to the, to the heart of the gospel. We're brought to the heart of the cross. The reason why we have relationship is because Christ is a, is a God that forgives. It wipes away all of our sin. He's a God that was able and willing to love us even in spite of our sin, and because of our sin. Again, it, it creates that relationship, that bond that we have with God. Well, third, we are to call upon God. Nehemiah does something very interesting, something that we need to take note of. He uses the very words that he uses to confess in, in verse 7. He says, we've acted corruptly against you. We've not kept your commandment, your statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. But then in verse 8, he now turns around. After applying the word to himself, he now does something 
seemingly very strange. He, he now applies the word to God. Notice verse 8. Now remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses. You could read that saying, Lord, remember the words of Moses. Why does Nehemiah do this? Does Nehemiah think that God has forgotten? Does Nehemiah think that God has amnesia? That God is not well-versed in his own scriptures? And that he needs to remind the Lord of what he has said. No, God does not need any reminder. God is not saying, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I did say that. In other words, God is not doing what I almost do every time my wife tells me to pick something up on the way home. Oh yeah, about that. Thankfully, that never happens with God. And so why does Nehemiah say, remember, and then quotes what the Lord has said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcast to the uttermost parts of the heaven, there I will gather there. There I'll bring you to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He is saying, Lord, these are your words. Remember what you have said. Yes, we are unfaithful, and yes, you scattered us, but we come back to you. You will gather us together, and you will bring us to the land where your name will dwell, where your presence will be. And so, therefore, remember your word. Nehemiah is doing something that no doubt your children do with you. If you've ever told your children that you're going to do something, especially if it's something that they really want, or something that they will really like. They will not forget it, do they? Like if you tell them, hey, tonight after dinner, we're going to have ice cream. Are they going to forget that? Absolutely not. Now, you may forget that, but they will not forget, will they? And if you do forget, you'll hear those infamous words. But you said, why do they do that? Why? Because if they said it, well, those words can be dismissed or denied. But if you said it, that means much more, doesn't it? It means that they, they got you. It means that they have a convincing argument. They have an airtight case. And you are convicted by your own words. Even if you don't want to do it, now you need to do it. Why? Because you're a person of your word. You follow through. You act because you said you would. If that is true of us, how much more so of God? If our words have weight and they are fallible, how much more the words of God who cannot lie? And so that is what Nehemiah is doing. He is applying God's word and his promises. In fact, I contemplated calling this point, not calling upon God, but calling out God. But I thought perhaps that might be misunderstood. But in reality, that is what we are doing. We're fleshly. We are human. We are completely incapable. But God is not. And, and he can use us. And by his spirit, and by his power, he can do this. And that's why we shouldn't only just read God's word. We should mark God's word with those promises that he gives. And, and pray those back to God. Charles Spurgeon once asked, was 
ask what is more important, Bible reading or prayer? And then Charles Spurgeon type wit, he responded back with a question. What's more important, breathing in or breathing out? And that is true, isn't it? That it is one act, that we inhale God's word and we exhale God's word. That it is just like breathing. And so we use God's word and we speak it back to him. Nehemiah goes on in verse 10 to say, these are your servants. These are your people. Lord, this is your name that is at stake. Your glory, O Lord, that has been ruined. And so restore it. Remember these ones that have been redeemed by your own hand, by your own power. These are the ones that you saved out of Egypt, O Lord. Through the the mighty hand and the strong demonstration of Moses and the plagues. And you brought them out and you brought them into the promised land. and, And you had Cyrus to be raised up again so that these people could go back. But it goes far beyond just Old Testament stories, doesn't it? We as New Covenant Christians can see the extent that God went to redeem His church with such great power and with such a strong hand. The power in the hand of His Son on the cross for our sake. How far he was willing to go for our redemption. Is anything now too hard for God? Will he not bring it to its end? Will he not bring it to its completion? Will he not bring it to its glorification? If Christ was willing to do this, and it's already done for us, then it is as nothing, the rest of it. Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not in him give us all things? And so remember that, dear struggling believer. Do you think that God would save you and now forget you in this? Whatever the this may be, you have forgotten your Christ. You have forgotten the power. He will never forget you. That is why we apply the cross to all of our prayers. For our comfort, for our strength, for our work, for our ministry, for the expansion of his kingdom. Nehemiah is essentially saying here in in verse 9, and we say the same thing, Lord, do it for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of your own glory, for your own namesake, and the namesake of Christ. And let's see how he will work. Well, four, and finally, we want to cast our cares upon God. Finally, in verse 11, we see that Nehemiah finally prays prayer. He finally asks God to be attentive to him and to give him success and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And we'll see next week that this man is the king of Persia. That is because he is the cupbearer. But the thing that should stand out from us and for us in this prayer is that it's the very last verse, the very last phrase of that last verse that Nehemiah finally brings his request to the Lord. It's as if Nehemiah was so caught up in the transcendent act of of prayer that his request almost becomes an afterthought. That he was brought to the Lord perhaps because of this request, but it just drove him to worship. 
drove him to, to pray and praise, to, to marvel at the beauty and magnificence of God, to confess his sins and receive the forgiveness of God, to confess the truth of God's word and to apply those promises to his own heart and to his own situation, to give God thanks and praise. It's as if he was almost caught up into the heavenlies and at the end goes, oh, by the way, oh Lord, help me in this. And hopefully the same thing happens. Sometimes we come and, and we bear our request because that's what's on our heart. But other times, may we be driven to prayer, not just to bring those requests, but to come and to be in the presence. So I tell you that that presence, no doubt, will minister to you far more than perhaps even the answer to your request. In other words, don't come to God and only be like a teenager. What do I mean by that? Well, what do teenagers do? Dad, I need the keys. Dad, I need money. Mom, we need food. Mom, we need my, I need my clothes clean. Come with just requests. And at some point you say, son or, or daughter, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to provide these requests. But there's something more than that. And we're missing out on. And the same is with our Lord. There is intimate fellowship that the Lord desires us to have. The dedicated time in his presence. And it takes time, and it's time worth spending. What a privilege it is to come to the Lord in prayer. We need to be a praying people. We need to be a praying church. And I don't say that as a, a guilt trip. I don't want to be the, the bus driver on the, on, the, on the guilt bus. But rather to say this is primarily where we apply our faith. Again, Virgin said that... Uh, prayerless Christian is a Christless Christian. The only thing I would add to that is a prayerless church is a Christless church. This prayer is the air that we need to breathe. It's incredibly necessary and we're utterly dependent on it. So let us pray without ceasing, both night and day. I'll close with this. As you know, my office is just down the way. And most people, when they come to my office, they knock if my door is shut. I say most people, not all, but most people. <laughs> but do you know who never does? My children. My children never knock. Not once. doesn't even cross their mind. They haven't even thought of it. They come barging through my door. In fact, they come through so quickly that you better not be standing on the backside of the door. And why do they do this? They do so because they know that their father is in there. Dear Christian, you have a far better, more caring father than any earthly one. And we have access to his throne to come anytime, day or night, without knocking. So let us use that precious gift, that precious gift that is ours, that has been fought for us because of the blood of Christ Let's come always and often and let's see what God will do when his people pray. Join me in that now. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you for this wonderful gift. And we thank you for Nehemiah taking the time to write down his prayer, teaching us the, the manner in which we are to come and to approach you, the manner in which we are to 
to confess our sins and to remember your promises and remember your word and to lay our request, to bear our soul before you. Lord, what a blessing that is to do constantly. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be a praying people, that we would exercise our faith in this way, this way that is not seen by many and by most. But, Lord, that work is far more effective than what we can do with our hands or with our feet or even with our words to this world. And so let us speak to the one that truly can change the world through your gospel, through the giving of Christ. And so doing, O oh Lord, may we be assured, may we be comforted, may we be convicted. Lord, may we gain whatever we stand in need of for spending time in your presence, hearing your words from Scripture, applying them to our hearts and to our minds, doing this heart work that you call us to do. And Lord, we thank you that you are the God of our hearts and our minds and of our lives. We're thankful that we are the one that we can call Father and that we can enter into your presence. Lord, would you hear our prayers, and may you answer them accordingly. We pray it in Christ.